Hey, everybody, welcome back to the How to Fix a Broken Record podcast. I am having such a good time not only engaging with all of you that now at this point of the podcast are reading the book. So uh, before when I was just starting this podcast, uh, the book wasn't out. So I was just sort of giving some of you like teaser about uh, some things in the book. And so to now be engaging with you here on the podcast and on social media, your thoughts as you're reading the book has been awesome. And I love being able to talk to a lot of just thought leaders and inspiring people and my friends on the podcast. So uh, we are talking about control alt surrender today with not only my friend, but also fantastic preacher, pastor, author, speaker, leader, I could go on, just fabulous. Sandra Van Opstel is with us, author of The Next Worship. I'm just happy to have you, Sandra. Hey, girl. (laughs) I'm happy to be with you. Excited to talk about the topic. Listen, because um, this is a topic that Sandra and I in our personal lives discuss. So (laughs) we're um, giving you all a slight window. We're not going to give you all the whole window of how it really goes down uh, when Sandra and I talk about this, but we want to give you a little bit of a window. And one of the things I love about Sandra, which is why I really wanted to talk to her about this topic for this episode, obviously wanted her to share some of the lessons she's learned in her life personally. uh, But Sandra is also a pastor. And I think when you are uh, pastoring people, and leading a church body and leading in a community, uh, there are ways that you have to walk through that surrender process with other people too. So I just thought she would offer a lot of great perspective on this. Um, I want to talk first, Sandra, about the term control-alt-surrender, which my friends that use PCs, because I'm using Mac computers now, but my friends that use PCs say that control-alt-delete is still a thing that you do to your computer, but that felt so old school. <laughs> like I, That just felt like control-alt-delete felt the same as like blowing into the Super Mario Brothers cartridge for <laughs> Nintendo back in the day, you know? So um, don't you remember those old school moments, right? Where we were just kind of learning how to use technology. Yes. And I don't have a, uh, I also use a Mac. So that's helpful for me too. (laughs) Yeah. Cause I was like, some people are going to be like, what is this? So in PC world, when you had your computer, you know, freeze on you or you encountered some problem that you couldn't fix, that was how you would restart your computer. You would press control, alt, delete. So I wanted to play on that because in my life, uh, a lot of my start over moments and a lot of the hard times of life, there is sort of, instead of the delete, it is that surrender button and the relationship between how much I want to control things and how that doesn't go well when you should surrender if you're trying yeah. to control things. That that doesn't work out so well. So first, Sandra, I want to ask you, if you could define the word surrender, how would you define it? Because I think surrender is a very loaded word depending on where we come from or uh, what our relationship has been to God or to church. For some of us, that image or whatever comes to our mind when we hear that word, you know, it sounds good. It sounds like a good thing. It sounds like peace. 
And some people hear that word and it sounds like the most terrible thing ever to to surrender. When you think of that word, what what is the meaning that comes to you? Oh, yes. Um, the first thing that comes to mind is actually an image, mm. not words, um, of kind of like a, a, a small child standing on a large bed and falling backwards onto that bed and kind of like plopping onto it. And all of the giggles and sounds that come out of uh, their mouth when that happens. So I think partially because I have two toddlers right now, you know, um, <laughs> but they're constantly doing that, you know, like, uh, mama, watch me. And then they'll throw themselves back. But one time uh, I was, I, re- I remember that image because I struggle with this so much. And I was once in a, in a time of prayer and, and kind of uh, just listening prayer. And a friend of mine came to me and she said, I have an image for you. And I see you as I see you standing on the edge of this bed and just throwing yourself back and allowing yourself to rest. Mm. Um, and just the joy that it brings when you finally, you know, when you get to the end of a long trip, which I've just come from, or you get to the end of a long day and you come into your room and you just kind of throw yourself on your bed and you know that that pillow will be there um, and that fluffy blanket will be there and it's your blanket and it already knows how you like to be wrapped in it. You know, kind of that that feel of your own bed. Yeah. Um, and so that's what I think of when I think of surrender, partially because of the stage of life I'm in, partially because of that image that a friend once gave to me that I needed to let go. Mm. And for me, I think I, I oftentimes think of the word surrender as kind of like when you surrender to an enemy or when you surrender, when you, uh, you know, you're trying to finish a project or let's say a run and you just give up. So to me, I think the word has negative connotations like giving up or failure, or you just couldn't make it or, um, you're not strong enough. And I've had to really uh, work with that image that was given to me that surrender is actually a place of rest. Mm. Um, it's a place of admitting that you actually aren't strong enough. <laughs> yeah, it's just a place of knowing your limitations and your need. And so uh, I don't like it. <laughs> <laughs> me either. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, I I get that it's like a part of our Christian journey and stuff, but I'm just kind of like want to negotiate that part out. Like, I just want to figure out a way to be like, okay, God, if I could like trade you something, can you like get rid of this part? Because like, I don't like it. And I guess that, you know, even brings up the word control. I never really viewed myself as a controlling woman, Sandra. I guess I always had in my mind, you know, a different type of woman who's very, you know, controlling and mean. And I don't know, in my mind, she wears these very pointy high heels, (laughs) you know. (laughs) I just had this whole image in my mind of like, that's what people mean when they say, you know, she's a controlling woman. And I was like, oh, no, that's not me. But I... I do like to be in control of quite a few things Mm. in my life, you know, um, some, some of that is good in a sense of like, it comes from a good place in me. Some of, some of it is like, I, 
I am not necessarily the personality that wants to, you know, just leave things to chance all the time. You know, like I, that's, that can be good in my leadership roles sometimes of like, okay, this is where we're going. I have some vision for this. You know, I have ideas about how we can go forward. I have steps we can take, you know, that's not necessarily being controlling, but it is sort of taking ownership of, you know, taking leadership of, I do um, feel like those things serve me well. But in life, there are a lot of times that life's going to come along and things are going to happen. You have no control over that. You don't get to say how all those, you know, chips are going to fall, so to speak. So, you know, when I hear that word control, I mean, I thought of that really controlling lady. I I obviously wrote about Janet Jackson in the book. I thought about her, (laughs) you know, even but even in her song Control or in that album, it was very much like, you know, this is my empowerment stuff. Like I get in control of my life. I get in control of my self empowerment stuff. And that just didn't go the same (laughs) like in actual life. (laughs) Like when you think of that word, control would you would you say your personality is more like yes I like to be in control of things or no you know I don't have to be in control of things like how do you normally balance that or not um well asking hard questions I mean asking hard (laughs) questions um I see myself as someone who is intentional Mm. and I see myself as someone who is um, who carries a lot of vision. Uh, so I think that's how I would describe myself on the positive light. You know, I think I, I you know me, I'm, I'm very careful and calculated on how I decide what I'm going to do. And um, especially in our, in our line of work and the busyness and the, um, the amount of things that we're balancing, it's, it, you need to really think about this is how my day is going to start. This is how I'm going to get everything done this week. Um, if I want to be there in two years, this is, kind of the path of, of getting there. And I think that level of intentionality and vision is something that, that should be celebrated in who we are. Um, but I think that for me, because things haven't always gone my way or because there have been so many obstacles I've had to overcome that it could lend itself to wanting to control a situation. So, mm-hmm. um, I believe that many of us that grow up in life experiences or in communities where, where so much is out of our control, um, mm. that we may develop a, a need for knowing what's next. And they, you know, they say this is true for, um, for children that have gone through a lot of trauma for children that have been involved in, or have, uh, have been involved in foster care that they, because they're moving around so much because so much is out of their control and being done for them that they actually develop these small habits like with food or with um, their Mm. daily routine where they really need to control the outcome because they feel so out of control all the time. Mm. So I, I mean, for myself, I think there are things that happen um, just given my life experiences where I feel like there have been obstacles and there have been things out of my control. And so it may definitely have affected my sense of like not wanting to encounter a surprise. So mm-hmm. my husband always says, he says, you always, <laughs> like you always anticipate the worst case scenarios. Like no matter what you do, you're like, who's going to be there? What's going to happen? Like, am I going to be safe? Um, like, will I be heard? Uh, you know, so I'm anticipating kind of like the, 
the situation, whether I'm packing for an event or preparing <laughs> to to speak or lead at, at an in, in a particular um, setting, he's like, you always anticipate the worst case scenario and then you prepare for that outcome. And he, he just doesn't understand that. So, <laughs> um, his personality is not like that at all. So, but for me, it actually brings some sense of freedom. So I think there are good things about it. Um, but I think there are also things that need to change. Um, my, my, I mean, I mean, my personality type is very like, uh, kind of intuitive feeler, kind of go with the flow, you know, like naturally. But when it comes to certain areas, I feel like I just need to prepare. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I think you brought up such a great point that our life circumstances are really what like puts that inside of us in a lot of ways. You know, I I talked earlier in the book about how I grew up in a house full of women So there was this like, you don't, you can't wait for somebody to be saving you, rescuing you, fixing this for you. Like if it needs to be done, you need to do it yourself. You need to assume and and in a way in the, in the back, like implicitly is you need to assume that even when people say they will do things, they will not do them or that they Mm -hmm. will not do them well. So you need to always be ready to like do your stuff and like do other people's stuff too, which of course was a pattern I had to unlearn in a lot of ways. So I do think some of that gets like inherent in us through like our upbringing and, and some of the places we come from that sort of are teaching us some things in a really great way because I I liked in my upbringing that I didn't feel like a damsel in distress all the time. I liked that I felt like, well, hey, you know, life's not here for me to lay back and see what happens to me. You know, life is here for me to, you know, be a part of writing my own story in some ways. And I love that part of it. But there were other places where it was like, hey, girl, you need to do your stuff and not like your stuff and the stuff of 10 other people. You need to like focus on these things. And I think that brings up the next thing I want to talk to you about, which is a big theme in this section of the book. Um, I and I know we're hearing a lot of two terms that I, I use interchangeably, but I don't know if they mean different things. We talk a lot particularly among women leaders about self-care and soul care, which I'm still not sure if those things are different. Do you view those things as different things or do you think those two terms are the same? I think I use them. Well, I use the terms interchangeably and I think they are the okay i don't want, i don't want to say they're the same thing but okay here's what i here's where this could come from for okay. me let me see if i can orient my um i believe as a as as a pastor and as a theologian that you cannot separate your your body or your mind or your kind of your soul your spiritual and a lot of times people say well that thing is that's the spiritual part of you know your spiritual care and that's your you know, that's your kind of emotional care and that's your physical care, like working out and eating right and resting and sleeping. But the way that the people of scripture, both the Hebrews and the, well, the, the way the Hebrews saw the person was, is all was spiritual. Mm-hmm. So um, when people say things like you need to take care of your spiritual self and they talk about like quiet time and prayer, et cetera, et cetera, it usually is actually engaging the mind because you're reading scripture with your mind, you're thinking about God. And so, really, your mind and your emotional 
kind of your emotional, psychological health and your body health are all spiritual. All three of those are spiritual. So instead of being three different things on a triangle, they actually are all encompassing inside of the spiritual health that you have. Um, so taking a walk is spiritual. Mm. Uh, exercising is spiritual. Uh, reading scripture and learning about God in your mind is spiritual. Um, crying uh, with a friend about a loss, that's called lament. It's in the Bible. It's, mm. There's at least half the Psalms are laments. That's spiritual. So I think soul care and self-care could be interchanged because what we're really talking about is, are you caring for yourself? You know, like, yeah. are you paying attention to all the spiritual aspects of who you are? Because if you are running yourself into the ground and you're getting sick and you have the flu and you're not eating right, then you're not paying attention to the Lord. I mean, how can you possibly hear him through all that congestion? You know, mm -hmm. <laughs> um, and if you are physically healthy and, you know, going to the small group and attending church and reading your Bible, but you're not um, willing to engage with the, let's say you've experienced some trauma in life and you're not willing to engage with the mental health professional on like really getting the kinds of counseling you need to heal, then you're not whole. Mm. So I think that if we can see the intellectual kind of mind, the emotional, psychological, and the physical all as spiritual, then everything that we do is soul care in that sense. Everything we do is spiritual care. I love that. I love that. And I think that I think that makes that idea more holistic. I feel like when we talk about soul care, it is easier sometimes for me in a leadership capacity or even with friends. It's e like it's easier for me to talk to you as my friend Sandra and go, Sandra, you need to make sure you're doing this, 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 take care of yourself, Sandra. But it's sometimes harder for me to go, Amina you know, you need to, you know, make sure you are doing these things. Like, why do you think it is that for many of us as women, that we find soul care hard to do? Why do you think that is? I think it feels selfish. Hmm. Um, I think, and it's developed probably through our cultural upbringing, um, through what we saw around us. And maybe even for some of us in the the place, kind of the the location of where we live. So for me, I, can, I can't speak for all women, but for me, I live and work and neighbor and pastor in a context of high trauma. Mm. So there are women who are constantly in fear of deportation, mm. who are working two to three jobs, who are taking care of their kids, who are neighboring with one another, you know, single moms who are kind of taking shifts and working together and trying to make it happen on a minimum wage. And so for me to take care of myself by going, you know, taking an hour long walk or taking a day of, of, of retreat at a, at a retreat center feels selfish to me. I don't know if that makes sense, but it feels sense. like well, they're the ones that need to be getting a manicure and they're the ones that need to be, um, you know, they probably need to visit a chiropractor and have acupuncture for the level of stress they have. But but it's me that's doing it. So I think part of it for me has to do with place. I always see myself in reference to someone else like, ah, 
And my husband says that's why I re-gift all the gift cards people give me. So if you're listening to this and you've given me a gift card, I'm so sorry. But I, I, my husband has to be like, you can't re-gift that. <laughs> <laughs> and my friends are like, my friends are like, this is for you, no re-gifting, you know. And it's not because I don't like nice things, you know. It's not like because I don't like to um, have an hour away so that I can have a facial or something like that. But it's that I'm always thinking someone else probably needs this more than me. There's probably someone else that's hurting more than me. And I, again, for me, it has to do with my location Mm -hmm. and my reference points. I think it also has to do with uh, my cultural upbringing. So as a, as a daughter of a Colombian woman, you know, like uh, um, Latina moms, like we are notorious for not eating if our, if like everybody else hasn't eaten. Mm. Uh, And even though professionally, um, and theologically, I see myself as, you know, the equal to, to everyone else in my home experience and in my relationships. I think my default is to take care of everyone else first. Mm. And so I oftentimes will spend an entire day not having eaten, which is awful because then I get to the end of the day and when everybody goes to sleep, I'm like, give me that whole bag of Cheetos, you know, right. like it's not healthy actually. <laughs> um, it, it, and, and just to be honest with you, I, I recently went to see a nutritionist because no matter what I try, I can't seem to take those extra pounds off, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and she said, Oh, you're not eating breakfast and you're not really eating much of lunch. And it seems cause you have to do like a food log. She seems mm-hmm. like, it seems kind of like, the lights go out on your family and then you start eating. <laughs> right. And she said, if I could get you just to eat breakfast um, and to have like maybe put in your calendar a 15 minute lunch so that you could put some part of some piece of protein in your mouth during lunch, I think that would actually help. And so about maybe three weeks ago, I started doing that and it really has made a difference. Mm. But I had, I'm, I'm, I had let myself get to a point where I was uh, going to the church, working all day, picking up the kids from daycare, um, getting on a plane, going to an event, coming back. I mean, like days would go without me, you know, and it's real bad. I mean, I I mean, I I told you when we talked, like my husband has to like schedule my doctor's appointments because he doesn't trust me to go, you know, like um, it it is really, it gets really bad. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, no. And I, I think I'm, I'm, as I'm listening to you, I'm like, "Mm, I'm so glad we're having this conversation because I think there's this idea sometimes that, you know, we're looking at other people and we're like, man, that person, you know, they're doing this, doing that, doing this. Like we're comparing ourselves to the, what, 5% of their life that we see. And I think this kind of like real, this real conversation right here is like, yes, that is sometimes how soul care is actually going, <laughs> you know, like is actually working out in real life. Like when you were talking, I was like, when was the last time this week I ate three meals? Like when you were saying that, I was like, hmm, like, cause some, cause some mornings, you know, in particular, just right now being in this time, you know, and you know this because Sandra, for those of you that are listening, Sandra was kind of giving me the prep, like, girl, you know, you, you book launched, you went through that part, but you're about to go through many more months, you know, sort of launching that book. Like, it's not just like the one day the book comes out (laughs) and then like it's done now, you know? So I think even in this season of time, Sandra, I find myself sometimes like 
waking up and I've just started working right away. Like woke up and there's this email that was sent after I shut down the night before. And now I'm like, man, I got to get right up and get on that because that's time sensitive. And then before I know it, I've just like rolled into the day and I look up and it's like 6 p.m. And I've had like two cups of water and some almonds. <laughs> and yes. it's like, that's not all right either. You know, that soul care um, and just in general, I think loving yourself and taking care of yourself and trying to see ourselves um, in the way that God does in a very practical sense, you know, um, that really does take a lot of time and commitment. And and then I go through the thing, Sandra, in my personality, where if I get to 6 p.m. and I've only had the handful of almonds and two cups of water, I'm like... Amina, you know, like I go through like the I could start to beat myself up if I don't watch it versus just being like, okay, well, that's done. How about you like have a salad now or have like some broccoli and some chicken now? Okay, like we may not be able to go back and do this whole day over, but you can start, you know, where you are. And I think that's important too in not making, um, not making like a mean thing out of taking care of yourself. <laughs> that makes sense you yeah know? <laughs> no yeah no for sure it does and I I wish I was better at this you know I, I really do I feel like I should have gotten it together by now <laughs> but um I I have so much vision for all the things I would love to do in life mm. like as a like the kind of friend I would like to be the kind of neighbor I would like to be the kind of pastor I would like to be the kind of mother and wife I would like to be oh the kind of daughter I should be you know um, and so I have dreams and visions about my abilities to do all things. And because of my particular personality and temperament, I actually am prone to, um, believe that I can do more than I can. Uh, so I schedule myself like every possible moment is scheduled just to maximize time and maximize relationships and get the most out of the day. Mm -hmm. And so when I start to get behind, um, you know, it basically everybody else comes first and then it just ends up that at the end of the day, it's, and I wish we could say that it was like, oh, that's just like one day or this is my tax season. I say that to myself a lot. Like, this is like tax season, you know, like it's like, it's just gonna be really hard. And then after this, it'll slow up. And it really takes my community to turn to me and say, um, that's what you said last month. <laughs> right. Or didn't you say that like in spring of 2016? It feels like it's been a minute since you've been saying that. Um, so it really takes the reflection reflecting through the lens of other people to to know when we're doing it so just to be totally honest i have a, a letter in a handwritten letter in front of me from a real good friend of mine, laura who she, she wrote it on 11 12 17 she wrote me this letter that basically says i just want you to know as you go on this trip because I, I was on a pilgrimage with a handful of women that i'm with you and i'm praying for you and at the end she says i just want to challenge you to lean on your community and allow them to care for you. Mm. To hold up your arms when you have nothing left. And she gives me this image from uh, Moses's life. And 
I just was so encouraged and challenged, as she mm-hmm. said, challenged and encouraged because she knows me well. I was encouraged that my community is there for me, but I was also challenged that I must be doing something that's communicating. Uh, I, I must be taking it all on myself right now. So uh, you need your your family, your com- whoever that community is made up of uh, to kind of reflect back to you when things aren't in line in that sense, either with the, the resting piece or with the controlling piece or with the surrendering piece, which are all connected obviously. But, um, and that's why I loved this section of your book so much. I mean, I laughed so hard on the plane that people next to me had to tell me to quiet down <laughs> and I cried. And I was like, it was like hearing your voice talking about all of your personal experiences and having had walked through them with you. Um, it just was such an honor uh, and there was one thing in particular <laughs> when you talked about the needle, uh, the, what's the chapter called? Oh, the one where I was writing about going to get acupuncture, needle point. Yes, needle point. And my husband, I, I was, my, we went, I was doing acupuncture for a while and my husband called them my needle naps. So <laughs> yeah, Carl that's exactly like, what it is. <laughs> Carl was always like, how was your needle nap? And the section where you're like, I'm not going to take a nap. Thank you, push is not for naps. I'm going to sit here and mentally think about all the things I need to get done. And, and then <laughs> they're snoring and it happened to me every time. Like, I'm not going to fall asleep this time. You know, I got things to think about and things to process. And then sure enough, they would come back in the room. Is everything okay? You know, like, <laughs> <laughs> totally me. Um, and I really feel like that season of my life, because because we were, I was doing acupuncture as a way to relieve stress to try to get pregnant. Yeah, it was a place where I oftentimes met with God and rested in the Lord, mm-hmm. and it was a very special time. So I used to tell Carl, I think I actually just go. I mean, I hope something's happening physically, but I think I actually just go because I need a dedicated, forced, mental, spiritual, emotional, physical rest. Yeah. Yeah. And sometimes like, I'm not, I'm not going to get that if I don't, I'm not going to commit to it as much if I don't have to like schedule an appointment with someone. Like I feel like acupuncture was like that for me and therapy was like that for me too. Like I'm taking an hour to talk to an objective person that has no skin in the game about anything I say. And like, that's this dedicated hour where like, I'm going there to give myself the space. I think you said something really powerful as it relates to sort of the the community that we're in. And I mean, I'm always imagining that in in most ways that is a community of women. It's a, it's a community in general. There are men there and we love them. <laughs> but some of like these conversations, even the letter that you got from your friend, um are these moments that we are having among our community of women in our life. And I do think many of us, I I feel like I hear this most from my friends who are women of color. There are these different ways that um, our community really, really works in our lives. And in part, uh, one of the things I heard you say that I know I experienced too, is I feel like wherever I am, whatever I'm doing, I carry my community with me. Like I'm never walking into any opportunity or 
any event or season or place. I'm never walking into that just solely, you know, as Amina. There are people and just this, uh, just, I don't, it's like, I don't even know all the words. It's like, it's people, but it's, it's this grand sense of, I am carrying my community and my people with me into that. And I think that, um, has so much beauty to it. And I always want to do that. And I think I'm also having to learn, um, that that shouldn't feel, I shouldn't be carrying that like this ball and chain with me, that it shouldn't be a thing that like is weighing me down in a bad way. It should be something that really is, is shared among us that like, I, you know, I, carry some of those parts for you or with you when you're walking through a certain thing. And then you watch me walking through that, you come and you carry some of that with me. So I feel like what you said um, about how your community is walking with you in that, that is not only healthy, but it's very beautiful to me and something I'm, I'm learning to do, which is ask for help. And I was going to um, ask you a question about this too, because you uh, hired an assistant recently. And this has been a conversation that I've been having mm-hmm. among a lot of us uh, who are, you know, women leaders and particularly who are women of color. And just, you know, we are doing a lot of things either ourselves or doing a lot of things uh, with not a lot of budget or not a lot of resource. We're, you know, making some miracles happen. We're doing amazing things yes, with, you know, yes. very little. Yes, right? we are. And, um, <laughs> you know, I was like so proud when you were like, y'all I've hired Sandra doesn't say y'all but you know when she was like I have hired an assistant and I was like cheering for you you know how was that how was that process even that being um sort of like a step in uh what I would say is probably your process of soul care like what was that like just saying hey I need help and inviting someone into the process of helping you oh I love my assistant. Um, So there are so many things that I have had to do over the last year or so to come to the reality that I cannot do everything myself and that I need help. Um, And so a few of the things that I did, uh, first of all, before I talk about the assistant, one of the things I did was I actually hired someone to clean my house. Speak. And yes. So, and it's like, maybe the culturally worst thing I could do as a Latino woman is like have somebody else clean my house, you know, like, because part of that is like the pride you take into taking care of your things. Mm-hmm. Like we have pride in like taking care of our homes and making things look nice and arranging things a certain way. And, but I just got to the point where I, I, I couldn't manage that with all of the travel and all of the work. And, um, I also had women in my life who needed jobs and they weren't able to, to get, the kinds of jobs that would, um, yeah, they just weren't able to, to be employed because of, st- of status or different reasons. And so I felt like this was a mutual win, um, because it was a blessing to both the people as well as to myself, mm. but wow, the mental gymnastics on that one. So I had to kind of have a conversation with a mentor of mine who is also a woman of color And she had to remind me that I'm not living my mother's life and I'm not living my neighbor's Mm -hmm. life and I'm not living, um, you know, the lives of the people at my church or my other friends. I'm living my life. And 
that God has invited me into certain spaces to be free to be who I am and to use my gifts and anything I can do to maximize the time of me being free in my gifts is a blessing uh, to not only me, but my community. So I was like, okay, it's going to be okay. It's going to be okay. And then I carried a lot of shame around it. Like, oh, it's just like what rich people do. This is so bougie to have your own person clean your house, you know, like, but it, it really has been both a relational and a, a practical blessing to have that. Mm. Um, secondly, so then I, when I got my assistant, that was like, okay, because that person has to be in your emails, right. you know, they have to have your credit card. <laughs> they, gotta have, they basically have access to all your things. <laughs> and um, my assistant is, a, is a, a person who has been very dear to me in my life in general. She was my wedding coordinator. She was a student leader in the ministry I used to um, lead. And so when I asked her, she her response to me told me this was a good thing. Mm. Um, she said, Oh, you know, I, I'm also in work transition. And cause she's like, she has had the most fantastic jobs doing so many fantastic, you know, brilliant things. So I almost felt bad asking her, but, um, she said this, this is a, yes, I want to do it. I want to be, a, she has always been a support to me. And, um, she said, I want to support what you're doing. I really want to be about what you're doing. And so allowing her access to all my things was very easy and freeing. Mm, mm. So about a month after I was talking to a friend and I was like, I love having an assistant. I love it. I just, oh my gosh, my life has been transformed. I'm like a new me because I can actually focus on what I'm good at which right. is not arranging my life. I'm yeah. terrible logistically. I've not, I don't have an administrative small bone in my body, like nowhere, you know? Um, and so it has been so freeing. Um, and my actual work that I am called to do has shined. I think just through having that five hours a week. And, and the fact that I know there's someone in my life that loves me and is for me and, I can trust. Mm. And so my whole life, I mean, I tell Carl all the time, my life has been transformed. Oh, um, I love it. Five, five hours a week. Um, so I, I can't say enough about doing that. I think if you have the, the ability to do it, you should let other people have the dignity of work mm. and allow them to do what they want to do. And don't feel ashamed that others around you maybe aren't doing the same thing. Cause it, it really did. I'm just going to be honest with you. Like in my neighborhood, you know, where I do ministry, like my church, like you don't, I mean, I got jokes from my family members. <laughs> should, we, should we text your assistant to schedule a play date with the kids? You're like, <laughs> oh, like I think it was partially serious. Like they want to know like how my life was arranged, but it was also kind of a joke. Yeah. Um, and you know, your family can do that to you, but, um, it, it was hard for me to do it, but I, I knew I needed it. Mm. And I, I put, I actually put it on Facebook publicly because I know there are so many other professional women, but particularly women of color who feel bad when we do things like this, because it's not within our kind of like within our normal everyday mm -hmm. lived experience. We don't see it a lot. Mm-hmm. I mean, I was I was cheering you on and I was also like 
let me get myself together. (laughs) So I actually asked a friend of mine, like, okay, I'm in my book launch situation. Like I, like ironically, I was like, start me out at the five hours, you know, kind of similar to what you're doing per week. And just even having her, she's sort of like easing me in because I am, I am very administrative. Like that was some of the work that I did in my twenties was being a virtual assistant and executive assistant and stuff like that. So I, for a long time, I think in part, just, you know, back to the control, like I was just like, somebody would have to come in here and be more detailed than me. And like, who's that? (laughs) Like, who is that going to be? Well, that's not hard for me. That's not hard for me. So, (laughs) (laughs) so I was like, I don't know. But it's been, good to even have her like coming behind me like I still need you to send me the such and such (laughs) like give me the logins to this you know and like you need to do this and you need to do that and I need to make sure we blah 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 like just even like how she's sort of like easing me in like you know helping me kind of walk through it it's good because I think that's a that's a big part of it is being okay. That's a part of the surrendering. I think that's interesting that we have this way that we will obviously continue to surrender to God, that there will always be a place in our lives where we're surrendering to God. Um, and then I think in that holistic surrendering to God is this like, okay, I need to surrender to the process right here of like letting somebody help me and like letting go of doing this myself, even though I've been doing this myself for so long and stuck in my ways I do it and all those things, you know? So even some of the things that she's just started out doing for me, Sandra, and I like woke up and I was like, oh my gosh, somebody already did that. Like yes. I woke up today and she finished it. Like she finished a thing that I would have spent like so much time today doing. <laughs> and I would have been like ready to cry because I don't have time to like do that and do these other things. So I just, I I love that. And I, I hope that that is freeing for you listeners, uh, whatever that looks like for you. You know, I, I have some friends who are like, hey, you know, I had to like ask my mom or my sister, you know, to come and help me do this, you know, however it is like just being able to say, Hey, I need help. Really. Every time I've done that, the response has been the same, Sandra, that the other person on the other end is like, I've been waiting for you to ask for help. Like I want to help you so bad, you know? Um, And I I think that's a struggle for a lot of us in general. And I, I definitely see it kind of in a, in a distinct way for women and for women of color in a distinct way. But I think it's, it's definitely true um, for men in, in a different way that it's, it's hard to ask for help because asking for help is a sign of weakness. Um, admitting, particularly as Americans, like admitting that we as individuals don't have everything that we need wrapped up all inside of us. I think that is a real struggle. Um, and to say to someone like, I am not, actually complete and whole without my community, without my partner, without, um, it, 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 it does kind of seem like, well, you're not strong enough and you're not able enough. Mm-hmm. And, um, so I think that's the struggle for all of us. And I think the Lord invites us sometimes through our life experiences to lean into those places. Like when I, um, when I injured my Achilles tendon, I broke both, I snapped both of my Achilles tendon, uh, one in like the early 2000s and one a handful of years ago. And both times I had to have people 
like take care because that's a long recovery. So like bring me food, watch me sit by my bed, help me go to the bathroom, help me take a shower. Like, I mean, I literally was like having to have my mom help me into and out of the bathroom at all times. And that was so embarrassing and so <sighs> shaming, you know, like I was yeah. like, I, but I think the Lord brought me into that because he knew that I had such trouble asking for help and feeling like I was in control of things. And so there have been times along the way where the Lord has actually invited me in very practical ways to work on the spiritual disciplines that are hard for me. Hmm. Mm. Um, a part of me is like, um, Sandra, I didn't bring you on this podcast to be talking to me about my life. So I'm about to cut this recording short. <laughs> like, whew, yes, Sandra, Yes, because I I do feel like I have been in a season of time, even, you know, in writing in this section of the book about just like my health journey and how tough that has been and how your body failing you and your body being in pain and your body having to heal, how that is such a visceral way to experience surrender and how much that has taught me I am not in control of as much as I think I'm in control and how much that's taught me like to, you can't run around and heal, you know, that there's this place where you have to surrender to that process. There's this stillness to that, that you, you have to surrender to it. Um, and that's super hard for me. I feel like that's why God brings me back to this place in so many different life seasons. I'm back to like a I don't have control over that. <laughs> There's like so many yeah. seasons I come back to that lesson. I want to talk a little bit about disappointment because this section closes with what was the hardest chapter for me to write, um, which was the ministry of disappointment. And this chapter actually started out as a blog. I was blogging for a deeper story at the time and the idea of how you are supposed to walk through disappointment with God uh, was coming to my mind. And so I wrote about it for the blog, but I didn't really go into detail as to what was the area where I felt that disappointment. And so I went back uh, over that in this chapter and sort of added in like the rest of the story. And one of the things that I did intentionally in writing this chapter was wanting to leave, wanting to, well, wanting to, but in, in fact, in real life, not having the other end of the story, so to speak. And I grew up in a church where like testimonies were like a big deal, you know, where you could say like, here's this hard thing I went through, but God, you know, and like right, right, all yeah. these things have changed. And that sometimes that is not how, it rolls out in our life that some people never arrive at the other side. Like they go through the hard thing or they experience the disappointment. And some people never experience like, oh, I prayed for that. I asked God for that. I was hoping this was what my life was going to be. And now here I am on the other side. Some people never make it to the other side of that. Um, and some people make it to the other side of that, but it's a very long journey to get there. And I wanted to ask you, Sandra, to speak to that a little bit, because I think for some people, this chapter was uncomfortable because it didn't wrap up, you know, because it didn't have that, that clean, like, well, I went through this hard thing, but 
here's the answer to how that worked out ending. It was sort of left untied, you know, unbuttoned at the end. And I wanted you to speak to that because I know that there are a lot of people listening who may be going through their own season of that ministry of disappointment, of experiencing the way those disciplines um, have to touch us. You know, what what has been your experience with that? Or what are some things that you feel like would be helpful to people to help them um, walk through a season like that? Disappointment, um, I think, challenges our understanding of God's goodness. Uh, so when we when we sit, when I at least when I have sat in those times where, you know, what kind of waiting and longing and admitting my longings to God and being free enough to admit those longings to God and then not have Him answer those. Mm. Um, have brought really a challenge to my to my walk with the Lord to ask myself, is God good? Hmm. So when Psalm 34 asks us to taste and see that God is good and to take refuge in Him, I think those are the times that really test our understanding of like, God, are you there? God, are you listening? God, do you see me? Why did I even bother to tell you what I wanted if you weren't going to hear me? Mm. And um, I think that's where our faith gets really refined. I think that's why it's important for us to walk through those things with our community, um, because there's always going to be disappointment in a group of people. Some people are going to experience, you know, the the joyful news of a of a new birth, you know, of a, of a new baby coming while others are going to experience the lament and the longing of wanting that. Yeah. And that's always going to be all there. And so you think to yourself, you know, I know we did when we were trying for so long to have kids, like we want to be happy for our friends, but God, we're also mad at you. Right. Not, we're not mad at our friends. We're not mad that they, we're not haters, but, but we're like, where are you? Are we not doing enough? Are we not working enough? Are we not sacrificing enough? Mm. And I think it actually pulls on our on our understanding and our theology. Like, who is God? Yeah. And what does His grace mean? And and when those things come out of our mouths or in our minds, am I not doing enough? Have I not been good to you? It really, you know, then it reveals that we think if we're good to God, He'll be good to us back. Um, which is not how God's grace works. It's not how His love works. Um, God is always good to us, mm. but we relate it to the things we receive or don't receive. And that's just hard. I mean, I have, you know, I have um, even this week friends that are, have received really bad news. And, you know, after being in this country in asylum for four years was, you know, received a letter that she would ha- yesterday that she would have to return. And so she's, trying to figure out if she takes her young son back to a country that is completely unsafe for children. Right. Um, or if she leaves him here and never sees him again. Mm. And that's a huge disappointment. Yeah. Um, I can't even imagine going through that. And mm-hmm. so I carry with her that lament and that sense of disappointment and the ending who knows? You know, God can do a miracle, and I trust Him for that. But it doesn't always have a happy ending in the sense that it gives us what we want or what we had hoped for. There are p- 
people that love the Lord all over the world who don't have happy endings. Their Mm -hmm. cities have been bombed. Their families have been torn apart. They don't have food to put on the table for their kids, but yet they seem to have this walking with God in it. So they can say like the beginning of Psalm 94 says that I'm going to praise the Lord at all times and his praise will always be on my lips and I will glory in him and I will glorify the Lord and I will exalt the Lord and a trust that we can taste and see that God is good. I think that's why community is important because if we're doing it alone, the only thing we see is our experience. Mm. But if we're doing life in community and even better, if we're doing life in community with people who are different than us, ethnically, socioeconomically life stages, when you're in community with an 80 year old grandmother who's seen things you haven't seen, she's going to pull you aside and say, why are you so worried and stressed out? Mm. When I'm so stressed out about my friend who's going through this experience, of deportation and a woman who is undocumented puts her hand on me and says, pastora, respire, breathe, Mm. breathe. And I sense God's healing through her hand. Mm. She is completely in fear yet. She's the one that's bringing me freedom and healing by saying, take a, just take a deep breath. Mm. It's God's it's okay. God's good. Um, So I think that, Disappointment in community could be a place of healing and freedom because we lament with one another and we just call a thing a thing and we say it really does suck that bad and we just hold each other's stories. But doing it alone is dangerous. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think I think there's so much that's powerful. And what you just said, and I, and I, it obviously echoes with me because even in having written this chapter, you know, I still had these hopes with God, like, you know, maybe by the time the book comes out, this won't still be true. Yeah. And the book came out and it was like, Hmm, I'm still here a lot longer in this season than I thought I would be. And I think one of the things that I've learned in having to sit in this season is I have learned the healing in lamenting. And when people are going through hard stuff, maybe I don't have all of the like, but everything's going to be okay, or whatever that, you know, Sunday school cliche is that we thought we would say that instead, it's just, this does suck. And I'm sorry, but I'm here. I'm here holding your hand. I'm here hugging you. I'm here bringing you food. I'm here doing whatever those things are that we could do. I'm here just sitting with you. And I've learned that it's okay to to stay right there and not feel like I have to force people to not feel sad or to not grieve. Because I think sometimes when we do that, we do it not because we think it will actually help the other person. We're doing that because we don't want to have to feel those feelings So we're like, okay, well, all right, you know, it's okay. We need to, you need to have faith. You need to, you know, we're trying to get people to like pick up, you know, pick it up. Let's get to some optimism right here. And we're doing that not because it helps them. We're doing it because we don't want to have to sit in that tension right there. And I'm, I'm learning to sit there more. And our our community group at church, actually, we were just talking about grief and how there are certain times of the year that 
bring up memories for people that they remember, people that they've lost, they remember babies they miscarried, you know, they remember uh, these moments. And just even in our group, we were just talking about let this be a space where if you are there in a season of life like that, like let this be a space where you can just bring that here. And maybe we don't have answers for you and maybe Mm. nothing can fix it, but you can bring that here and you can bring that before the Lord. And we're here to just hold that space with you to do what that beautiful elder did for you, Sandra, to just put that hand over your hand, to encourage you to breathe and be present and know that people are walking through it with you. And I think that's so important. Um, I think particularly this chapter is, is the part of the book that people have written to me about the most. I think in part because this chapter is talking about infertility, which is something that is a, is a journey to your point, Sandra, that I feel like a lot of women and a lot of couples end up going through alone because when you're walking through it, it's typically not a quick process. That's typically very long. And so some people can't walk that long road with you or some people are, you know, like it gets triggering to you, you know, who's getting pregnant and who's on a second baby if you haven't had a first baby and, you know, you're walking through all those things. And so there's a lot of silence to it. And I think a lot of shame. And so it was very hard for me uh, to write it, but I felt like it was something that God wanted me to write for me to have to say it out loud. Um, And also, you know, in hopes that other people that are walking through it that are at a place where they can't even put words to that, to how hard that is. So I wanted to ask you, Sandra, as you also um, experience this journey, and I know that there will be some people listening who may be walking, that may be their ministry of disappointment is infertility. Um, What are some things you would say to someone that's walking through that lonely place, that long place? What would you say to them? Um, Or even to be helpful to someone who may not be going through it themselves, but may have a family member or a church member or a friend that they're walking alongside. What, what, What's helpful as you're walking through that or you're walking through it with someone? The first thing that comes to mind, I think, is I'm not, I'm not sure. Sometimes when we're going through it, it doesn't feel like anything is helpful. Right. Um, I don't know if that makes sense, but it, it feels um, the pain that you carry when you long for something so deeply. Like, And I, I would say this is true. I experienced similar things when I was single and longing for companionship. Yeah. Uh, the the loneliness that you feel, I it seems like nothing anybody says could ever uh, change that reality. But I think with the advice or the the, the comment you made earlier, just sitting with people in it and knowing it's going to be a long road is is a gift you can give to people. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, checking checking in on them, asking them like how how ask the, the individual people or persons, how can we best walk with you in this? Mm. Do you want me to check in on you or would that be too hard? Um, would you like me, you know, just ask them what, what might help, you know? And I think that, that, that is a gift we offer to people, like letting them know we want to hold this with you and ask them what, what can I 
do or what would be helpful to hold it with you. And they might say, please pray for us, but don't bring it up. Or, you know, I once had to say to um, someone I love very much, like, I know that you're hoping with us, but every time you tell me, oh, I pray for it, it's really hard. Just not, it just, it brought up bad things for me. Mm-hmm. Um, and so there, and, and, and those seasons might change. Like there were seasons for Carl and I in those many, in those six years, and as particularly after we miscarried, that it really was helpful for us to know that people were praying for us yeah. and we need for people. So those just know that things change for people and um, ask them what would be most helpful. Uh, let them know that you're there holding that with them. Um, there was one time that I had um, someone come to me and say, I really want to like pray over you. And, and I had to say, I am not ready for that. Mm. Or there was another time where someone said, I really want to pray with you. And is it okay if I lay my hands on your on your belly. And I said, yes, actually, I, I would love that. And so it just changed. I mean, I don't know, I can't speak for every woman, but for us, it just changed. And I think another thing I would add to that is, um, this came from a, a friend and mentor, uh, Reverend Brenda Salter McNeil, but she said, you know, uh, she asked me like, how is Carl doing? Mm. And she said, remember that he also has his own journey Yeah, and it's different than yours. And so I think that was very powerful for me to think as well, because it, the couple is having this journey t- together um, and what the woman needs and what the man needs may be different. Mm. So I think if you have a friend, a group of friends, or if you have friends that are going through this to ask for the distinctives of what, what does the husband need, what would help him as well. But honestly, Whenever we have an experience where we have disappointment or uh, what Ruth Haley Barton calls longing in her books, it's like that longing for something. Mm-hmm. We sit with people in it and know that it may or may not ever be answered the way that we want it answered. And so the journey may be very long. And I, for me, especially as we head into the season of Advent, um, I believe that we have spiritual practices that help us do it mm-hmm. because season of Advent is a season of waiting and it's a season of longing. And it's, it was a season for God's people to hope and dream of their, of their freedom one day. And I think of uh, this pilgrimage that we just took to look at the suffragist movement for women's rights and the abolitionist movement and the real true longing that African-Americans still have today for true longing for true freedom. Yeah. And to be seen as fully human and to not have to say that their lives matter. Mm -hmm. I think that those journeys are long. And in the same way, God's people, they waited for their Messiah and they waited for their Messiah and they waited for their Messiah. And the season of Advent reminds us that God did come, but he is coming again to make all things new. And that, that waiting is going to be a long one, uh, so what does it look like for us to hope together, to sit together, to hold that space together um, as a community and believe that one day there will be no more tears mm. and no more pain? Mm. That just hits me so deep, Sandra. I mean, you know, because you've been walking through this life with me too, but that just hits me so 
I mean, I should say deeply, but it just feels more right to say deep. <laughs> like, I don't want the L-Y on the end. I'm like, it's me deep right there. And I feel like a place where I've been just even as I'm walking through this, and I hope for, you know, people who are listening, whatever that long journey is for you, like Sandra described, I feel like I'm at a place now where I'm my prayer to God is like, help me to trust that you always do what's best for me that you love me, that you always do what's best for me and help me my trust to be in you, not just like in the outcome of what Mm. I hope is the end Mm. of this. Because if my trust is in the outcome, then I am, that's not sure footing for me. Then I'm constantly in this very, you know, shaky place. So really asking God to help my trust to really be in you, in the fact that you always love that you are always good, help my trust to be in that, not just in whether this outcome comes true or doesn't, um, because there is still a lot of life left to live, even if whatever that prayer is that I have before God or that any of us have before God, if whatever that is doesn't get answered, um, is there still life that God has for me? Is there still purpose that God has for me, even if that turns out to not be the way my life turns out? And those are hard things I'm saying. <laughs> and they're, and I don't, I'm not able to assent to it every day. You know, some days I'm like, okay, I'm riding with you, God. I'm here for it. And other days I cry my eyes out, you know, and I think that's a part of the surrender too, is it's not for us to come to this like, superhero Christian place of like, look at all this hard stuff I've gone through and I just trust God. You know, it's like some days you will and some days it will be hard and you will not want to and you will be angry and upset and to bring all of that to God, all of it, every part of the process and to bring all of that to the people you walk through it with. You know, I think there's a lot of healing in that, um, I even think about like the phrase, the title of this book, how to fix a broken record. Sometimes I laugh because I'm like, there's nothing I can do to fix any of these broken <laughs> records. Like, like is the title of this book, like, like sort of false advertisement, like read this. So you'll know how to fix a broken record, which will basically tell you, you can't like, I could have just opened up the book and put those yeah. two words and <laughs> close the book up. You know, sometimes I really, really laugh about that. Um, I'm going to, I normally close the podcast episode, Sandra, by, asking people uh, their favorite album of all time. So I want you to share that, but I kind of want to turn the question a little bit for you. Um, and I didn't tell you I was going to do this, so you can just be like, no, girl, I already prepared my album. Don't <laughs> bring it out here, switch it up <laughs> on me. Um, but for the album that went with this section of the book, it was uh, Fred Hammond's Pages of Life. That was actually the only gospel album of the seven albums mentioned in the book. And I wanted to ask you, and then I'll ask you your favorite, favorite album of all time next, but I wanted to ask you if you can think of it off top of your head, what's an album you would say reminds you to surrender or takes you to that place where you can see God more clearly, be more aware of God's presence in your life? Do you have like an album like that or a piece of music you can think of? Well, you know, 
I have a piece of music, but it it is um, the song "It Is Well with My Soul," mm. and so I'm sure it's on an album somewhere. But um, written by a um, a man who lost everything, mm. lost his family as they were crossing the ocean to try to get to him, and in that despair and in that grief, he wrote the song "It Is Well with My Soul." And I think that that is what surrender is about for me. It's about no matter what happens, no matter what the phone call um, that's coming in says, no matter what news you get um, in the good times and the bad, uh, in the celebrations and in the lament, that your soul is okay. Mm. And that you can rest in God and you can throw yourself down on that bed and know that there will be rest. So I think that's a song that when I think about surrender, I think it's being able to sing that it's well with my soul. Yeah. I love that. That's one of my favorite hymns too. Anytime we sing it in church, I always hear, I hear my grandmother and my great grandmother singing that song. So there's this like, uh, heritage for me when I hear that, that I'm also, I'm thinking about my own circumstances and things. And I'm thinking about the lives that they lived and the times in which they had to live and that they were able to sing that song. So it's like their courage to still look at segregation and look at uh, Jim Crow and look at so many experiences they had that they would also still sing it as well. Helps me to sing it as well, uh, wherever I am. I love that. What would you say is your favorite album of all time? If you could pick one. Um, yes. Favorite album of all time. Absolutely. Gloria Stefan's uh, first album, Let It Loose. Yes. So- Come on, Sandra. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Because the rhythm is going to get you. So. Mm, the rhythm is always going to get you. <laughs> Tonight. <laughs> yes. I am so glad that you said that. Yes. My favorite, favorite singer of all time. She's also the only thing my husband and I had in common when we got married. Because <laughs> it was also his his first album that he ever owned and he loved the song. And so we could we didn't have anything in common but Gloria. So. which is a great thing to have in common oh my gosh (laughs) yes oh i love that i i've been judging my friendships based upon the answers to these questions and (laughs) as as always sandra yes (laughs) that that was just so perfect yes i'm just i'm here for it i'm here for it sandra so obviously um we are just getting to hear a little bit of the wisdom and just the the leadership that you have in uh, the books that you write, in your pastoring in the congregation where you are. And I know I am also a follower of yours on social media, and I am just constantly just learning so much from you. So I know that there will be people that want to know more about you, want to know uh, more about places they may be able to hear you speak or want to know how they can buy your book, follow you, where would be the best place you would say for people who want to know more about Sandra Van Opstel and learn more from you? 
Well, I mean, you could, I have a website. It's sandravanopsel.com. Um, I don't know if you want me to spell it out, but sandravanopsel.com. I think I'm the only Van Opsel out there. <laughs> um, and I also post on Instagram and Twitter and Facebook, and it's just my full name, Sandra Van Opsel. So you can find me on any of those, but I'm constantly posting pictures of my awesome kids and of all the travels that I'm taking, as well as my very raw thoughts about what's happening in the world. I love it. And y'all going to want her raw thoughts because <laughs> it's highly informative and educational. Sandra, thank you so much just for uh, not only sharing your time with me on this podcast, but just for sharing uh, your story with us. And uh, I really think that just, I even felt like of all the episodes so far, this one has felt the most tender. And I think that's a good thing. I feel like a lot of people are really going to be touched and helped by hearing from you. So thank you so much, Sandra. I appreciate it. Thank you for having me um, because this was my favorite part of the book. That's why I, I told you I, we have to find a time to talk about this section. I felt equally about just the gift that this section was, that it was not all uh, kind of tidy, but it really invited us to a, a space of, of reflection and laughing and crying. And I know it's going to be a huge blessing. And I, and I just personally, for me, I, as a friend, I appreciated that you shared so openly about your journey and your disappointment and how it didn't have the conclusion that you wanted. Yeah. And I, that was hard. It still is hard sometimes. Like when it came out on, uh, those of you that are, are uh, following me know that, that, that this chapter was excerpted for Christianity today. And so when it came out on there, Sandra, I was like, oh, I just want to go somewhere. And I know, you know. But I'm just, I'm really, I think that's a, a testament to what, what beauty can come of surrendering and of being vulnerable enough to say, here's some hard stuff that is still not, you know, completed in a bow. And I think that really invited a lot of people to uh, really say, Amina, thank you for sharing that with me and sharing their stories with me. So thank you, Sandra. And thank you all for uh, listening. Uh, This has been the Control-Alt-Surrender episode of our podcast. The How to Fix a Broken Record podcast is produced by DJ Ope Diggy at Orange Fuzz Studios in Atlanta, Georgia. The book, How to Fix a Broken Record, is available wherever books are sold. Thanks for listening.